Bees have a unique place in our minds. While the thought of being stung by a honeybee is scary, the tiny insect is actually vital to the human food supply. About 80% of crops and one-third of the food we eat each day rely on bee pollination. Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm your host, Megan Robinson. First semester senior, Zach Royko has dedicated his education to studying honeybees. His capstone research project focuses on how to protect beehives from pests that can interfere with bees collecting pollen and nectar. I sat down with Zach, an entomology major here at Oklahoma State, to learn more about his research and how protecting the hives benefits humans. I'm just trying to manage the environment a little bit to see if I can get rid of pests. And so I changed an entrance out in the bottom board to try to limit the number of hive beetles that are able to come in because bees can hover, you know. And so I put an angled tube and they're able to hover in that. And it's something I saw a video of somewhere. I was like, I wonder if that works. And so I figured I would do something just to research it. And so that's what I ended up doing. I ended up following that, but I'm not going to end up publishing any on that, anything on that. First, I'm going to do some queen research that I'm doing this semester that's going to be over uh, wing clipping because a common practice is to mark the year that you put the queen in the hive or to stop the queen from leaving the hive. They will clip the wing to stop her stop that from happening and it keeps her there or it lets you know what year she is. I'm trying to see if that will affect the number of eggs she is able to lay over time. And if it does, then that's going to be something that I won't do with my bees. But if it doesn't hurt anything, then it doesn't hurt anything. How do you clip a bee's wings? You, so you just you take a pair of scissors or something and you just cut the wings right there. Cut the whole thing Not off? Not the whole thing. You're just taking sections of it. Gotcha. So it's enough for them to still kind of move around, but not enough to travel distance. Well, and see, that's the question is, that's the question I'm asking is, can they move around in that hive and still be able to maintain their movement? Because those frames, for us, you know, it's only three eighths of an inch, so it's not that far apart. But for them, that's a pretty big distance and it, it gets wider as you go down the comb. So uh, my question is, can she go back and forth really easily, or does she have to go all the way up and down and spend less time laying eggs? That and would be so, so interesting this, to find out. It kind of coincides with the fact that I need to grow the number of hives I have to do the other research more thoroughly. Meaning the, the beetle about research. About the beetle research. Obviously, your research is super important to the bees and and yeah. their life and their hive, but how does your research impact us as people? So... My research, like I said, it's very much focused on the beekeepers, and what this is going to do is it's going to allow the bees to focus less on those hive beetles because when those hive beetles get in, there are bees specifically designated in the hive that will go around and they hunt for those hive beetles. That's a worker that is spending time doing something other than going out, finding pollen or nectar sources, or collecting that pollen or nectar, or even making honey, processing the honey. So they are, that's something that they could be doing that they're not. And so by lowering the levels of beetles in the hive, I'm creating a more stable environment that allows fewer bees to go and hunt those beetles. And it frees them up a little bit and just makes them healthier overall, which then creates more productivity and healthier pollinator colonies. And with the beetle research, you've referred to them as pests. Yeah. How do hive beetles impact honeybees and their honeycomb and their hive? So they burrow through the honeycomb to get to the honey. That is, that's what they're interested in, or they'll eat eggs or other things in the hive. 
And they so this can cause the honey to be exposed to air, which can cause it to ferment, which makes the honey bad and not usable by bees or anyone really. And so it's a waste. So humans couldn't even have that honey. Uh, they, you could probably have it and be fine, but it's it's something you don't want because it's going to be sour. T- it's fermenting, so it's not going to be the same as that sweet honey you want. Why did you decide that you wanted to go the field research route over lab research? So, um, Maya, I think it's important to be able to establish what are some good management practices and what are ways that we can help prevent pests in our hives. My lab is those hives in the field because that's you because they're organisms. You know, you can't exactly put them in a lab and go at it like that. I know that they can do genetic stuff or they're doing chemical research, things like that, but. Like I said, I'm more interested in ways to keep them healthier and make it easier on beekeepers and just trying to help people there. Because keeping bees isn't as simple as I put a box in a field and you actually need to watch over them and make sure they stay healthy. Because just like any other animal, they have different conditions that affect them. So what are some of the things that a beekeeper does to make sure? I mean, I, I, I'm i one so, of those people who thought you just put the comb in and take it out and you wear your beekeeping oh, suit yeah. and that's it. So, so like, what do you do? So it's important to note, like, Something I guess a misconception. Most people, you have to regulate a schedule. You go check those hives because if you don't, they get the insects learn. They get used to schedules. If you don't check them consistently at a certain time, they're gonna get upset with you because they they're used to you coming in. They get used to your smell. They get used to all sorts of things about you. And so I end up checking mine every two weeks because that gives them enough time to build and still not enough time to lay uh, eggs in between frames and. Whenever I pull the frames out, it makes them real upset. If there's eggs laid in there and you tear it apart because you're killing their young if you do that. So you want to kind of stop that, but you also don't want to be so intrusive that you're breaking apart their construction. And how long do you spend at the hives when you go? Because um, two weeks isn't that often. It isn't, it, but it depends on what exactly I've set out for that week. If I'm just doing a general check, I'll probably spend only 20 to 30 minutes in every hive. That comes out to just be a couple of hours. But if I'm sitting out there and I'm harvesting honey, I'm probably going to spend somewhere around an hour in each hive just weighing frames, figuring out what frames I want to take for harvest and what I want to leave them to have spare food just in case they need it if it gets cold again or something like that. So I also was reading online, I was doing a little bit of pre-research to this interview because I'm not that familiar with honeybees, but I've read that there are three kinds of bees. There's the queen bee, mm-hmm. the worker bee, mm-hmm. and then the, the male bee. The, yeah, that- the drone Okay, so. so what's can you elaborate on the difference between those three types of bees and sort of the roles that they have within a hive? So the queen is, of course, individually, she is the most important bee. She, her job, her whole existence is laying eggs. That's the only thing she does. She just lays eggs, and that's that's her only purpose. Worker bees are the ones who build the comb. They make all the decisions for the hive, for lack of a better, better way to look at it, because they, whenever they build a comb, the queen will sense the size of that comb. She'll lay an egg in that comb depending on the size of the comb. So, like, if it's a larger cell, she'll sense that it's going to become a drone. If it's a normal worker-sized cell, it's going to become a worker. It's, she's going to fertilize it so it can be a female. Because in insects, the unfertilized eggs are always going to be males. So the queen can literally decide if it's going to be a male that, or Yeah, a she, she detects based off of the size of the comb that she sticks her abdomen in, her, her backside in, that it's, this is what egg needs to go here. That is so fascinating to me. You hear queen bee, mm-hmm. you know, like they are the one in charge. Is yeah. there, are there multiple queens per hive or is it just sort of one per hive? How does that work? So it's, 
it's usually one per hive. I've only, I have, it's a bit of an oddity if you see any more than one. Like, I've, the only other time I've seen it to where you could call it one hive, and it has two queens, is where they will put uh, queen separators, which is just something that's thin enough, it'll stop the queen from going up into a honey storage area, and they merge two boxes there, and then they both contribute to, uh, I move my hands, but they both contribute to a, a honey storage area. I have had one hive in my personal hives where I went through it, and consistently for several months I had two queens in there, and they were both laying, and they were both going, but usually queens will fight to the death, or one will leave, and that's how a normal hive works, right? So the first, say you have a queen that disappears, and they make a whole bunch of queens to try to replace that one. The queen that emerges first will probably end up killing all the other queens that are still trying to become adults in the hive. They're still pupating. And so they, they won't have the chance to live. That or they will emerge, and if they emerge around the same time, they will fight to the death. Wow. Or like I said, they'll just leave. So If they leave, can they take over another they'll, hive? They'll or take just... some bees with them. Uh, and this typically is, that's something you'll see with uh, old queens that are getting replaced. They'll take a small amount of bees with them, and that's how beehives reproduce. They form new hives, bringing bees with an old queen. Oh, wow. Or with a new queen that's swarming. And about how many bees are there total within a hive, or does it vary based it on size? It varies depending on the year, and this isn't going to be entirely accurate because it's off the top of my head, but I think in the winter, if I recall correctly, it's going to end up being somewhere around thirty to 40,000. And then during the summer, you can get up around 80,000. Per hive. 60 to 80,000 per hive. Uh, and you have personal hives. Yeah, I have. So I have hives. I am with the beekeep, OSU Beekeeping Club, and I take care of their hives. And then I also have my own personal hives I take care of. Where do you keep those personal hives? Uh, I keep all of our hives are either at the Botanical Garden or they're at the Insect Adventure here on campus. So there, you don't have your personal hives, like, in your backyard? No, I, I don't. No. <laughs> Just had to check. You know, you know, I'm learning so much. I didn't know if maybe that was a thing. You have your little pet bees outside in the yard. No. What are the common misconceptions about honeybees? I guess one big misconception you can look at is most of the bees in a hive are actually they're females. There's, a, there's very few males, and they're kicked out by August. And every year they, they die off in August, and then they make another set group of them for the spring and summertime for breeding and then they get kicked out and they die again so that's males are not a permanent fixture within a hive oh that's crazy and so ants are very similar where all the workers are females and the entire hive is basically female except for small parts of the year you spend a lot of time at the hive so i have to just ask this question how many times have you been stung oh i've been <laughs> um and one sitting the highest i've had i think it was like something like 150 or something like that it was it was pretty high um most days i don't get stung more than two or three times if at all like those are the the bad days are the ones where i get stung a bunch but that's pretty rare like, do you feel it i mean you've been stung so many times no not really like i'll, I'll feel the little pinch of them hitting me but I used to swell whenever I got stung, but I don't swell anymore. It just, it used to be a redness and it's kind of, depending on where it gets stung, it, it kind of nothing or it's a little bit red. And you were saying that the bees kind of, they kind of know you now because you go so much. So do you think that that plays into them not stinging you because they recognize who you yeah. are? Well, establishing that, um, that habit 
gets just that schedule, the routine. It gets them in to getting to know you. Because we're coming off of winter, we've lost that, and so we now need to rebuild it. But once we get, get it back going into summer, we level out and it'll be good. And your passion comes through talking about it. I can just tell that you love this research. What's your end goal with this? Like, what's your, what are your career aspirations? So if I could, I would love to come back to Oklahoma State and do extension with bees and just help beekeepers and communities and stuff. That, that would be my end goal is to do some sort of extension-based job helping people. Zach is currently focusing on growing more beehives to begin his queen bee study. He is on track to graduate in December of 2021 and will carry on his research while working toward a master's degree. He hopes to continue to find ways to create a more stable environment for honeybees that allows them to focus on pollination. That's all the time we have for this week's Inside OSU podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Once again, I'm your host, Megan Robinson. Thanks for joining me today. Music